Welcome to Ness and Dorma episode 13, part 2. The episode had gone so long we decided to split it over two. So this is the second part of the British Transfer Records episode with myself, Lee Calvert, Rob Smythe, Gary Naylor and John Silk. Enjoy. We move on back to the transfers now and we'll talk about, uh, we're into the 90s. Just to start with, 1990 in the other parts of the world saw Roberto Baggio going from Fiorentina to Juventus for 8 million squid. Um, What I loved about transfers back then is that we see it as 8 million quid, but it was like 27 gajillion million lira, wasn't it? Which you can never quite (laughs) understand. So I missed that, really. One thing I miss about old football, transfers in lira. But yeah, so Baggio went there. Let's cover the next two that we've got here in one go in in, in many ways, although although Gary might not be happy about that. Because in 1991, in the same summer, for the same amount of money, 5.5 million each, David Platt went to Bari from Villa. Trevor Stephen went to Marseille from Rangers. Yeah, well, I mean, Trevor Stephen was a Rolls-Royce of a player and um, his his biggest successes, if we're not counting sort of winning multiple titles in Scotland with Rangers, did come at, at quite a young age. So there's a temptation to feel that his career tailed off, but he was a beautiful player to watch and um, tremendous footballer. Uh, but he he went to Marseille, and I'm not sure Rob will know whether it... Did he play in a European Cup final or something like that at did Marseille? Go- I don't know. Didn't he go the year after? He went August he went to 91. Yeah, and I think they, they were in the final in, in the summer of 91. Yeah. So, um, there was obviously a magnificent like, amount of money washing going on, wasn't there? Yeah, I'll because that's, that a, that's, that's another fee. <laughs> Allegedly. Even, even more bizarre than the Chris Waddle one, I think. Far more bizarre. That five and a half million quid. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, Gary will disagree, no doubt. But I didn't see him as being a five and a half million pound player. You could you could arguably say the same about Platt. Platt had a great status, of course. I I I'm with both of you in a way. I think he was a really really good player. I'm quite underrated, but I suppose five, yeah, five and a half is quite a lot. I uh, mean, but, Platt for me. I mean, if the two. I mean, Platt. That was a year after the World Cup that he won. It wasn't on the back of a World Cup. We all know how mm-hmm. some of those transfers don't work out. He had another year at Villa, and I think it's the year that Villa sort of pushed Liverpool to the title. No, uh, it wasn't. It was year after. They almost it was went year down. After, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. but he had a very good season. Yeah, I mean, for me, David Platt for the same fee as Trevor Stephen, there's no contest. Just, just a very quick aside. After yeah. you're right, it was a year after Italian night, but after Italian ninety, English footballers became kind of must-have accessory in Serie A. Now, none of them went through in the end, but it, all the players were linked, and like Lineker, you know, Bar. My favourite story is Steve Bull, who was really close to moving to Torino until he decided he'd miss his English breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> He wouldn't even move from the Midlands, never mind to another to another country. <laughs> yeah, so Platt went and obviously he had a very, he didn't he went to Bari and that was a big yeah, deal. Yeah, Bari went down, but again he did, did But well. then he moved on, didn't he? He went to yeah, Sampdoria, he Juventus. Sampdoria and then he? Juventus. He yeah. properly ingratiated himself in the culture, didn't he? Which again is quite important. Yeah. Um, I mean he worked yeah. at he worked at Man City, I think, as helping Mancini at the beginning, particularly in terms of translating, which yeah. tells you how, how his Italian is. And he'd have played with Mancini at Samp as well. Right, yeah. Thing. We're up to nine. He would have been second. He would have been second banana to Mancini, though. <laughs> we're, oh, we're up to nineteen. He was a player. We're up to nineteen ninety-two now. Uh, you talk about a player didn't look like he moved much. That was Roberto Mancini, by the way. But he, the, um, and I don't mean that as a criticism. It was just he just seemed to glide around and be amazing. But yeah, so we're up to nineteen ninety-two now because that was ninety-one, nineteen ninety-two. Now the big move in nineteen ninety-two was Paul Gascoigne going from Tottenham to Lazio. In five point five million again for from a British point of view, but up but two big three big moves in nineteen ninety two in the international arena. Papin 
went from Marseille to Milan for 10 million. Viali went from Sampdoria to Juventus for 12 million. And the famous Gian- Gianluigi Lentini went from Torino to Milan for 13 million pounds. That's what happened in 1992. And of course, Lentini then had a terrible accident, didn't he? Yeah, he had a good first season. Uh, then he had a car crash. And I, I, there'll be people who know more about it, but I think he wasn't quite the same. Yeah, Papan was in the period when they were stockpiling foreign players. And of course, you could only play three. Mm. So you had people like, I think Brian Lauder spent about eight months on the bench. Oh. And I don't think they had a reserve team either. Um, Papan would have played a fair bit and was absolutely ruthless. Everyone yeah. remembers that her, having to navigate that horrendous foreigners rule in Championship Manager 92 on the Commodore Amiga. <laughs> I certainly do, anyway. Um, yeah, and Viali, obviously, and Lentini. Yeah, I mean, going back to Gazzo, I mean, that was that was deferred by a year, I think, obviously, after yeah. his, his big injury. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a cliche, but it's kind of obvious. I mean, the, the player that he was... Uh, up until that injury, with this, I mean, you watch that cup run that Spurs have, and again, it's a YouTube thing. But you watch that cup run that they got to the final, and and he dragged them to that final. And the style of goal that he would score pre ninety one would often be very different. He would score great goals post that ninety one injury, you know, and everyone remembers the goal at, at Wembley in ninety six. But it was never quite the sort of bursting past three players kind of goal that he would score, which would he made like his own almost trademark, certainly in, 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 in on these shores. Uh, in that cup run. Yeah, I agree. I think he was still a fantastic player after 91, but he wasn't mm. quite the same. Something died in him. Probably that, but you're right, that kind of explosiveness. He was never yeah. quite the same again. Still a the other, the other thing about that that move to Lazio, I mean, we all know, of course, he scored the winner in the Rome derby. And, and I think he still, or he, despite some controversial moments in terms of, you know, being the Brita board belching into the, the microphone <laughs> and stuff that we remember. But he's actually was really popular. I loved him, yeah. Yeah, and I heard an anecdote about him one yeah. day when he's in Rome and um, uh, and, and there's fans banging on the car uh, while he's driving through Rome. And these are uh, Lazio and Roma fans. It was almost like he was a phenomenon uh, from all parts of Italy, but particularly Roman. And these fans are banging on the car from Roma, you know, cheering Gaza, not, 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 not cheering. I've never seen a player who represents what it must feel like to be the fan who's playing. Yeah, There's, yeah, very, there's very, yeah. very few players where you've gone, you know what, that's exactly what I'd be like. I'd be pulling faces, I'd be dicking about, I'd be, you know, I'd be so, yeah. t- I'd just, I'd enjoy every minute of it. Of course, you probably wouldn't when it became your job, but it never seemed like a job to him, did it? He just, he just, he one, he just delighted in it and he delighted everybody in the way he played as well. He's, Again, he's turned... someone, Go on, John. someone who was someone who was close sort of to him at the time, uh, who I spoke to once. Actually, he also said his Italian was all right. Uh, he sort of his grammar sort of sucks, but he could get by. You know, someone... Danny Baker. Danny Baker in his uh, auto, one of his three volumes of autobiography <laughs> says that Gaza spoke uh, perfect Italian. I mean, and, I spoke uh... to, to James Richardson on this. He's also the guy who told me about the. The, the story with the banging on the cars. And he said that his grammar wasn't great, but, you know, for a guy that we don't always associate with being, uh, you know, international and, and, and that bright, I think, you know, he said that his Italian was all right and, and far better than some other players that went to Italy. That's Gascon in 92. We then move on to jumps three years to January 1995 when Andy Cole goes from Newcastle United to Manchester United for seven million John. Yeah, I mean, when I mentioned earlier about these kind of cloak and dagger moves and, and suddenly springing a surprise, I mean, obviously, Cantona springs to mind a few more. But this was one that came out of absolutely nowhere. 
I remember United had played a game against Sheffield United, I think it was on a Monday night in the FA Cup third or fourth round with a a great chip from Kevin Love. And then next day woke up and they signed Andy Cole for seven million. There was actually a clue, but not that we knew at the time, that um, Keith Gillespie had been left out of that Sheffield United game because they didn't want to cup to... You're right, I think it was one of the last kind of JFK transfers you vividly remember. Can you imagine it now? With all the people yeah. camped outside. What my favourite bit about that is that Keegan actually goes out and talk, confronts them, doesn't yeah, confront them. Actually, yeah. just like he says, look, you know, I, he, there's a little bit where he says, look, if it goes wrong, I know the implications. And he says but, something, know, doesn't he? Like, oh, if I think I can move this club on, then I'm going to do exactly. it. But you know, and and he, they were, he Ferdinand. But yeah, no, it's, but it, it just sums up Keegan. Bless him. He actually <laughs> went out and just yeah. actually, I just wanted to have a chat with the people about it and say, yeah. Gary. The story, the story that I like about this, and it underlines the bolt from the blue character, is it was a, there was a guy in the Daily Mirror the day after the Andy Cole transfer, and um, it was one of those shots with him looking glum in one picture, and then there was a call, and um, the day before the Andy Cole transfer, he'd had his calf tattooed oh, God, with yeah. a picture oh, of Andy yeah. Cole in a Newcastle hit. I really. <laughs> There he was, looking glum for the uh, photographer. Um, but I, I think I was, I think I was travelling to York or something that day. But I remember being at York Station and and hearing it on the radio or something or other like this. And it really was, uh, how did that happen? Did Cole uh, want to go? Did he want to go, Cole? I think he was just quite. I don't, I don't think he agitated. I don't know, to be honest, but I don't think so. I think it was just that Keegan, because what happened was actually Ferguson, they're all interlinked. Ferguson wanted Collymore first. Yeah. Um, and Frank Clark was basically bored of saying no. So he got his assistant <laughs> to lie and say he had a cold or something. So yeah. then Keegan, I think Ferguson spoke to Keegan about something and he said the response he got, it wasn't a yeah, it just made him think, hang on, something's not right there. It was about a month before it happened. And then it kind of went from there because Ferguson was looking at everyone Funnily enough, he said he decided against Sheringham because he was too old. He bought him two yeah. years later. <laughs> um, but and they, of course, they, United looked at Ferdinand. Ferdinand ended up going to Newcastle. It was a really interesting time because everyone was, all the big English clubs were signing young English forwards. And for about 18 months after that, I mean, as you said, Ferdinand went to Newcastle, I think, the summer afterwards. And the beginning yeah. of the following season, when Newcastle were on fire and United were struggling, uh, you know, Cole was under a lot of pressure. And I was thinking, because Ferdinand was a million quid cheap, I think he was six million. Although, I guess when you throw in the Keith Gillespie thing. But anyway, uh, I thought, my goodness me, Ferguson's dropped the wicket here and should have got Ferdinand. I think a lot of people did. I, I thought Cole showed extraordinary mental strength to recover from a diabolical first 18 months. Yeah. He then got pneumonia at the height of summer. He then had both legs broken in one tackle by Neil Ruddock in a reserve game. He, he had... Cantona's awful body language that made it clear he didn't rate him. Yeah. To recover from all that, I thought was so impressive. And he, he basically, United bought a goal scorer and made him into a footballer. I thought he yeah. became a really good link player. I saw, um, I saw United win 4-2 at Goodison and Dwight York was playing with Andy Cole. And I think, I'm trying to think of a better pair that I saw or, or two players just tear a defence apart. Uh, more than those two, because they could have had 10 between them. I'm they were be... that good. The speed of passing, the speed of thought, the runs, the intelligence shown, they absolutely were fantastic. I'm going to be really annoying and remind you it was 4 1, not 4 2. So... <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. That's why you're here, Rob. That's why you're here. I think Yes, the Blanc scored in that game. And I was actually there. <laughs> <laughs> So that yeah, was Cole, Cole, Cole just he always you know he, there was always an accident prone element even when he really nailed his United career he could still miss 
big chances. That was it. That was the England cap thing, wasn't it? He uh, needs too many yeah, chances to score and all that kind of stuff. To me, that's yeah. bollocks. It yeah, wasn't well, the, it wasn't the quantity; it was the quality. He wouldn't miss that many, but he would miss some beasts. Not only great chances, but big moments like um, Real Madrid in that two thousand. But he it, did um, he miss a chance at West Ham to win yeah, the title? Well, two, he missed day. two exactly, and that was that kind of bled into next season when he had an absolute nightmare. Yeah. But anyway, oh, just one quick aside on Cole and his England career. I think his first four caps were under four different managers, which is a bit <laughs> weird. And maybe that contributed to a sense of never kind of feeling like... Pop quiz listeners to the pod. Can you still tell us who the four different managers were? that were? I know you probably can, Rob. But can you tell us that Neston Dormer part of the four different managers were? Wilkinson was probably yeah. one of them. Well, yeah, yeah well, he uh, needs uh, Taylor. No. No, he would have, no, have been Hoddle. He would have been Hoddle. Fedables, Hoddle, Hoddle, Wilkinson, and Keegan. Don't bother sending the answers in now. We've just given it to you. (laughs) So so, um, so that was Andy Cole in 1995. We then move into, um, still in 1995, a bit later that year, Dennis Bergkamp goes from Inter to Arsenal for 7.5 million. Again, that went okay. Didn't it? Yeah. The final analysis. <laughs> you don't remember him being ridiculed in the tabloids. It took him a couple yeah, of I think it took him about six weeks to score, and they drew. I think they drew at Hartlepool in the league. Cup. Can't and handle English football. football. Is that classic? What I would say there's a really nice story, just quickly, about Ian Wright was um, at Clackett Lane service station. And he was trying to park to get some petrol, and he was pissed that some BMW parked really badly, and he thought, who's this prick, basically? <laughs> and then he saw Dennis Bergkamp and said, oh, What are you doing? What the hell? And then Bergkamp told him he'd actually signed for Arsenal and writes that he was jumping around like a child, basically. <laughs> and he was going to play alongside Dennis Bergkamp. It's a really nice story. But and right, I, the, think, I think it's that, right. He says Arsenal will never make a more important signing. And I, I would agree with that. It just that He just changed the whole kind of culture of the club before Wenger and just him. More, than, Klins, so more than Klinsman, did he change the whole attitude to foreigners coming here, do you think? Yeah, I mean, the thing with young, Berg- right? The thing with Bergkamp as well is that was off a pretty dodgy period, I think he had at Inter before yes. that. And of course, it was a Bruce Rioch signing. It was about maybe mm. two months before Wenger arrived. It was longer, but the thing is, okay. it was a year, but I, I always wondered about this. So was it was it a David Dean signing with Wenger in mind? Was it Bruce Rioch? I never know, because on one hand, I think you should give Bruce Rioch a lot of credit because he bought Bergkamp and Platt. Now, Platt was his type of player, but it, in terms of status, they'd be buying people like Kawamia, you know? So it kind yeah. of gave a real, but I don't know whether it was David Dean with Wenger in mind. I really don't know. Chris Kiwomya, there's a black. <laughs> yeah, Gary. So I've got a hat trick against Chris Kiwomya. Um, the, oh no, <laughs> is there anybody you haven't seen score a hat trick against Everton, Gary? I was I was in a Highbury crowd where Dennis Bergkamp, his first touch of the ball was greeted with screams of flop, flop, flop. <laughs> And that was coming from the Everton fans, but I suspect it might have been coming from some of the Arsenal fans as well, because he had had a poor season at Inter Milan. He had been, partly that was because he was the golden boy at Ajax, I think, was the and, and yeah. the, the big talk was he was coming through from Dutch football, and he wasn't at that time. And but there was there was more than just the Everton fans who who would who were unhappy with Bergkamp because he was on big money and it was, it was seen as, um, you know, sort of Billy Big Bollocks coming through there. Um, but that didn't last very long, uh, put it that way. Two, and, uh, two years he was, he was pretty, 
pretty good. Yeah, first two years he was good. I don't think he was exceptional. But in the start of the third season, when he went on to win the double, when he scored that famous hat-trick at Leicester, and for about two months he played some astonishing football. Well, he, he was really playing did. a little bit deeper then, I think. I mean, as a, a leader of the attack, he was never okay, he was, yeah. the point of the attack. He was better just just off or, or coming yeah. from yeah, deeper. They had quite an and I think they system. signed him to centre-forward, and he was, he was never a centre-forward. They had quite an interesting system under Wenger because they had kind of Overmars... And Parler were normally the wingers, but actually Parler was almost doing two jobs. So he would play as a central midfielder and a right midfielder, which allowed Bergkamp and Overmars to bugger around wherever they wanted. And then they would play right or an Elk in front. It was quite a, quite a clever, fluid system. And yeah, his, Bergkamp, I mean, he, he just saw passes that other... His ability to play short-range through passes that no one else could conceive, never mind play, it was just extraordinary. His goal yeah. against Newcastle... famously with that goal of the season to yeah. Newcastle. Yeah, I was going to say, his goal against Newcastle was just... It's still probably one of the best goals I've ever seen. Gen- genuinely, I still can't work it out. If I watch that, it's like it's it's such a brain buster. I still can't work out the sequence of how he's conceiving it. As a- My only thing is that people say he got lucky, and I- I'm inclined to think he didn't. But his celebration is so low key, and if you contrast <laughs> that with the goal against Hol- uh, Argentina, hmm. now for a, a kind of perfectionist artist like him. You would think he would go absolutely mental when he scored a goal. Having said that, it was like early in a league game as opposed to last minute of the World Cup quarterfinal. <laughs> yeah. Was it? Was it Dabzas? It was, he turned. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think Dabzas. He's back and into him, wasn't he? He pushed the ball one way and spun the other way yeah, around. Exactly. Him. And in a yeah, way, when you, because it doesn't look because it doesn't look barnstorming. People go, "Oh, it's, that's not as good as that goal when he crashed." Oh no, it is. It's, 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 it's spectacular. Yeah, it is. I agree. It's just. I think it's better than his one against uh, Argentina, which is still. Won the Great World Cup goals, but yeah, it's just it's so it's just it's one of the most obviously unique goals I think that's ever been scored. That Bergkamp goal against uh, you mentioned you mentioned a hat trick at Filbert Street. There, I, I showed my my boy Jesper that, and I think his reaction was they were all in the same game. There's a slight myth about the hat trick at the risk of being really boring. Is that, that all three were one goal in a month? One, two, three. That's actually not true. The, the, one of the three that won goal in a month was scored at Southampton when he beat about four players. I, I feel like the Grinch now, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say Rob Smart ruining your conceptions <laughs> one thing at a time. We're still in 95 in the same summer, actually, uh, when for a million pounds more than Dennis Bergkamp, Stan Collymore went from Forest to Liverpool, John. Yeah, and uh, again, first thing that springs to mind is when he scores on his debut, and I think it's Clive Tilsley shouts, you get what you pay for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somewhere like that, yeah. It's like you want a trip to the supermarket. He's, uh, <laughs> Stan Collymore famously got beaten up in Dublin by Bath Rugby Club. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. He was in a nightclub in Dublin and Bath were over there. He decided to start a fight with Bath Rugby Club, which is sensible, (laughs) isn't it? But there you go. Yeah, so we signed for for Liverpool. I think you were saying in the Liverpool episode the other week, Rob, that very divisive opinion about Collymore. Somebody said, yeah, you're basically managerial suicide. And then also... Yeah, but against that, because he did an infamous interview with 442 quite early on when he said, basically, in what industry would you spend 8 million and not know how to use it? Because basically Liverpool wanted... He was obviously all kind of power and pace running at people and everything. Liverpool wanted him to play a lot, kind of cuter game. There was a short passing game. And actually, he adapted pretty well in the first season. If you watch towards the end of the season, he makes quite a lot of goals for Fowler by moving left and things like that. But by the, he was home. He didn't move to Liverpool, and there were a lot of problems. Um, he didn't get on with Fowler, um, and some people will say he kind of ruined the dressing room. Other people will say he just 
you know, he's just a good player who didn't quite settle. Um, I think there are stories about his lack of punctuality as well. Yeah, and I was looking at excuses. His mum would always be ill. Boy Evans gave <laughs> no, him no, that. No, no, seriously. That We've all worked like with one him. Of... Yeah. But it's Boy interesting. Evans John gave him an easy time as well, I think. Yeah, no, there's a yeah. John Barnes compared him to Ronaldo, interestingly, in terms of kind of explosive pace, power, two footed skill, and he did have every. I'd love to know what would have happened had he gone to United mm. and played under Ferguson. Was that was because uh, he begged? Why didn't he go to United then? Wrong time. Frank, Frank Clark. Him? No, Frank Clark. Frank Clark kept saying no. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they got Cole. But I think yeah. Collingwood was his first choice. If you read Ferguson, did a really brilliant diary of the night four five season and. Um, and there's a period when he's thinking about it. he basically wants to sign a striker after they go out of Europe. Um, and yeah, he considers all of them. But I think Colin and Collymore goes through a draft and scores a belter. And that's kind of then he decides he's the one when they ended up with Cole and everyone was happy. Larry? Uh, um, mate of mine lived next door to, I think it was Dean Gordon, the uh, Crystal Palace fullback. Went to Middlesbrough anyway, as well, that, Dean Gordon. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's how I managed to find myself in one of the boxes at Selhurst Park when Palace were playing South End. Now, Colin Moore played for both those clubs, but I think he was playing for South End. And your point about Ronaldo, that's the Brazilian Ronaldo, not the Portuguese Ronaldo, that's well made, because I, I remember yeah. that he, he was just this this huge man with this extraordinary burst of pace. He was very indisciplined at that time. He was a bit raw. But to say he was a couple of notches above that uh, second division fair, well, he certainly was, I can tell you that. And you could see why people were were paying big money for him. Although, of course, there was lots of stuff going on with Collymore. You've just just mentioned that. But in terms of of, um, physical attributes and power and pace, I mean... Les Ferdinand always scored against Everton, and he, he had plenty of it. But I think Collymore had more. He had more class as well, and he was yeah, two-footed. Yeah. But Ferdinand was so powerful. Wasn't it? Just a quickie on Collymore. I thought it was really cruel that um, after he had a bit of a, a few kind of lost years and everyone abused him for being depressed, which is true. You know, the attitude was so hostile towards mental illness back then. But he went to Leicester under Martin O'Neill, and he played brilliantly for a few months, was really settling in even though there was an incident when he left for fire extinguisher of the manga, but anyway. And he was doing so well, and it like, felt like his career was back on track, and then O'Neill went and took the Leicester job, a uh, Celtic job, and his career never really recovered from that. I felt it was really sad. He's got a home, I think he's got a hatch on his home debut against Sunderland, clearly got on with O'Neill, you know, two very intelligent people. Um, O'Neill also had the gift of man management that perhaps Evans didn't, and John Gregory at Villa certainly didn't. Um, yeah, I felt sad actually because what gifts always, did John Gregory actually have? That's an, that's an episode all in itself. Yeah, I always wanted Collymore to succeed, and he's also he's the first person I interviewed who used a word I didn't understand. I wish I could remember what it was. Um, <laughs> but he's a, and his um, book, his book is a sensation read. What and of um, course he's now he's got his own production company now. He was advertised on Twitter for people he's employing and all that kind of stuff and all of that. Plus, you know the Ulrika Johnson thing. Let's not I go think, there. But he's but the. What's before? Sorry, Rob. Last no, point. no, good. No, it's good. I think he's a, a really. In, you were talking about Paul Merson in terms of kind of interesting characters and journeys. I think he's just a really interesting lost talent. Um, and because, and also kind of the football, would he be the first British footballer who was quite openly spoke about mental health issues? I think he's, um, yeah, he certainly won. Now, the problem yeah. is, I think that actually set football back because the perception of Colin Moore as an oddball. I'm not saying that's fair, I don't think mm. it is. I think, whereas in cricket, someone like Truscovic was the first, and because he was an everyman, I think it made it a lot easier for people subsequently. Whereas Collymore, you know, there was that famous John Gregory quote about, you know, I, I just don't understand how you can be on that money and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Gary's gone. Gary's just wandered off. 
I bought, I bought Carrie's tears. But yeah. I just think it's like, a lot of interesting facets of Scream. Obviously, there's some things that were entirely regrettable, like beating Rika up. And um, yeah, just, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I think in I many think. ways, he was more of a classic Fergie striker than probably Andy Cole was. Yeah, possibly, absolutely. And Fergie, there's a good bit where he talks about, like, he talks about it with his scouts and they uh, with his staff, and they say, are you sure he could link? And then he plays Old Trafford and plays really well, and Fergie's yeah. like, Black, trust me, he can link. I also um, remember that game because Forrest's kit that day was horrid. It was like a two-toned, turquoise and blue kind right. of outfit. That was also um, the game when Stuart Pearce racially abused Paul Lindsay. It was all brushed under the carpet. But oh, was, really? Yeah. But yeah, I, no, I agree. I think he was. I, there was certainly more work to do on Cole as well. However, you do wonder, I, I suppose Ferguson was such a genius man manager, quite like O'Neill in a way, but obviously even better. I suspect Colin Moore would have responded to him in a way that he didn't with Roy Evans. That's not to say it's Evans' fault, you know, it's just certain characters. It didn't quite fit, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you don't know what to do with people who work for you. You don't know what to do with them. You know? No, exactly. No, no, totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I'm just saying it's just, that's just how it is sometimes, isn't it? What's, um, before we finish off with Shearer, because we're getting there now, I think just, <laughs> a, yeah, just a very quick thing is, um, it's interesting when I look back, particularly in the early 90s ones, about who's not on the list. Chris Sutton's not on the list. Roy Keane's not on the list, for example. Who actually, if you'd have asked me to list this yeah. uh, off the top yeah. of my head, I would probably start throwing it, probably because I'd forget about Wobble you know and that... I'd forget about... Go on, Rob. Because in those days, it was often, the British transfer record was often perceived as between British clubs. That's so right. Keane and Sutton would both be on the list then. That is yeah. true. Yeah, Sutton, certainly. Right. I think that's why, um, why we remember them. That way. I mean, Keane was probably up there with, you know, sort of Brian Robson was just a, a no-brainer. But the thing, actually, at that time that the Keane transfer, I remember there was sort of this list of Forest players that had gone between Forest and United that just yeah. flopped. Davenport, was the classic Bertles, being, yeah, Bertles, Bertles yeah. being the classic. And so it was like, is he going to break the mould? And, and he certainly did. A real, a really quick one on Keane is, um, shows how precarious things are. Ferguson left that so late that had the, um, this admin staff at Blackburn not buggered off early on a Friday afternoon. Keane would have signed for Blackburn. He'd agreed uh-huh. it. And they buggered off so he couldn't do the contract. Then over the weekend, Fergie called him, just casually as you like, do you want to come for a chat? They had a game of snooker. And then Fergie, Keane broke his world with Dalgleish. He said, basically, not quite your dead son, but not far away. No one right. does that. To... So it's, it's just really interesting how casually seemed to be, Ferguson seemed to be about it. I mean, the Cantona is the classic casual sort of phone yeah. conversation, isn't it? I mean, yeah. the other thing with so with with, with Keane, I mean, well, imagine Keane and Shearer, just a Keane and Shearer, Blackburn. That's, yeah. that's a hell of a <laughs> and there's a classic, there's a classic that's line. So spine, isn't that, it? Yeah. That, so you had these kind of, I think, it was like one year after another, where where Blackburn United were going for the the big players at the time. Obviously, Shearer was in '93, I think, and eventually chose Blackburn. And during that dialogue, I think again in one of Ferguson's books, he he mentions how his line to Shearer was, um, "What would Kenny Dalglish do?" And Shearer's response is like, you know, who oh, fucking yeah. cares, you know, I'll yeah, do yeah. whatever I want, you know. Yeah, so that was yeah. an occasion that, that maybe Ferguson's sort of mental prowess didn't quite come off. But when it came yeah. to Keane, Keane was in no doubt which one he preferred. Yeah, I, I think he, he sold Keane a line, something like, look, son, we're going to win the English League for most of this decade with or without you, but with you, we'll win the European Cup. <laughs> oh, okay, that's nice. Which was, well, yeah, sort of cruelly... Probably true, but isn't, not true. In isn't there a slightly yeah. different narrative on the Shearer transfer as well? Well, there are two. There are two. So, 92, he definitely wanted to go to Blackburn. But there are two stories in 96. And one is that uh, he wanted to go to United and agreed to go to United. And then Jack Walker, who loathed United, the Blackburn owner, basically said, no, you can go anywhere you like. You can go to bloody 
Bolton, Peterborough, <laughs> Grimsby, but you're not going to that lot. Now, who do you believe? You know, Shearer, Shearer says that, that he wanted to go to Newcastle. I, what I would say is, it, my, my personal opinion is that he wanted to go to United and wasn't allowed, but I would say that it was a pretty tight decision at the time because Newcastle had only just missed out in the league. Uh, United, you know, you could easily put United's double the year before down to Cantona, Schmeichel and a bit of luck. At the time, not everyone knew the kids were going to be as good as they became. It's easy now to say Shearer would have scored a million goals and he would have done, certainly because of his crucial injury, because he was a monster. Before he was injured in 97, yeah. he was just the perfect centre-forward of his type, an absolute monster. But I, but he, don't forget the, the, the temptation of going to your hometown club to win a title with them. And they were close. They were very yeah, close. which was looking very much on the cards, wasn't it? He so was who do you believe? I and all that. Just who before, believe before I know. bring you in, John, just I just want to mention that the Shearer transfer to Blackburn, which is fifteen million in nineteen ninety six, is rather neatly sandwiched between Brazilian Ronaldo. Oh, once, that's right. Yeah. Once in ninety six for thirteen point two million when he went from PSV to Barcelona, and then nineteen point five million in nineteen ninety seven when he went he from broke, Barcelona broke to Inter. It. He broke the world record, I think, Ronaldo twice before his twenty-first birthday. Ronaldo. I mean, how yeah. good how good just to be to do that? Sorry, yeah. John. No, no problem. I mean, the other thing with with the Shearer thing is we mentioned Andy Cole just now, and that was eighteen months after the Cole seven million deal. I mean, his career would probably have been over and would have been completely different had Shearer obviously made that that move. That it worked, and also it's kind of sliding doors. It worked out well for United because they got Solskjaer, who yeah. became an absolute hero. But also because Shearer they did his crucial a year later, and although he was still a brilliant goal scorer, he wasn't the same player. I think he'd have still done all right with Beckham swinging the ball into well, him, he, even after his crucial. Yeah, no, the first season, the first season where they'd have had Cantona playing through balls and Beckham put crossing, he'd probably have scored. He, I think he would have scored fifty goals. <laughs> oh, but after that, after that, he was a. Uh, it sounds stupid to say he was a diminished player, but he he kind of was really. He was a diminished player. It's not unfair to say it was just a different. The Blackburn Shearer was a, just as oh my god, it just scares me now thinking about him. Yeah, yeah. he was. Um, a couple of points that I made earlier on that uh, have parallels with with <laughs> Shearer, <laughs> and um, no, no, not a paradigm shift. But um, <laughs> I remember, and this will this will give you a, a flavour of the time when Shearer was transferred to Blackburn. Uh, from Southampton, I remember going to Rothman's football yearbook because I wanted to compare the goals that have been scored by Tizia and by Shearer because my feeling was they got the wrong man. And if you look at the, and there's only 18 months between them, you, you kind of think Letizia was a lot older than the, than Shearer, but he wasn't. He wasn't that much older. And in this, in the first division season of 1990-91, Alan Shearer. 36 appearances for Southampton, four goals. Mm-hmm. In the same season, Matthew Letizia, 1990-91, also for Southampton, 35 appearances, 19 goals. And, you know, Shearer's, uh, Letizia's goal-scoring record was incredible for a man who didn't really play as a forward. He played as a deep line forward. But I remember I remember having conversations saying, you know, they'll regret this, Blackburn Rovers. He's a one-season <laughs> wonder. And he only scored 13 goals in the, in that last season at Southampton. He's overrated. He should have gone for Letizia. Should have gone for Letizia. Um, so I got that wrong. And where we were talking, oh, when I was talking earlier about Merson carving out two careers in in uh, one in football, one in broadcasting, um, 
to with great success entirely on instinct. I want to I want to kind of go the other way with with Shearer because um, he's from Wall's End in in uh, just outside Newcastle, and I thought I. I knew some pretty rough places uh, near where I lived and in and around Liverpool. But dear me, Wall's End is really, really, really rough. And um, He's from the same place as my dad, uh, Gary, just to be careful. (laughs) Well, you'll know, Lee, that it's rough. (laughs) And and Shearer's father, you know, famously was a sheet metal worker. My father was a panel beater. So I kind of have a a, a kind of uh, understanding a little bit of, uh, of what it must have been like growing up. And... He went, I think, to Southampton at something like 15 or 16. And it's a long way from Newcastle to Southampton. And that was, that was much rarer than it is now as a kind of big move away from, from where you grew up um, to go to Southampton. He was a single-minded sod, though, wasn't he? I think he always has been. he would say, learn his trade. And, you know, I commend him for that. And he improved as a footballer and he changed his game as injuries uh, supervened and has, as the nature of football uh, changed. But he never stopped being effective. And I admire him for that as a footballer. And then when he started his punditry c- career, he was terrible. He didn't seem to do any homework. He was inarticulate. Yeah, he was awful. Yeah. He was, he yeah. was awful. Now I think he's right out of the top drawer. He does his homework. He's very clear in what he wants to say. I think he's a, he's a fine pundit who does a good job. And I'll just finish it off because I think he really worked hard at that broadcasting career, that we really saw it coming through with that documentary he did about neurological problems related to heading the ball, where I think that's as good a sports documentary as I've seen for quite a few years. Admittedly, I haven't seen too many of them. But he showed that he could pull that together. And okay, it was scripted, but he was still carrying the program for 60 minutes about quite a difficult issue to get across. And I think sometimes Shearer doesn't get enough credit for how hard he's worked to learn those two different trades in a way that Merson does it all on instinct. I think Shearer does a lot of it on bloody hard work and trying to be the best he ever could be. Just a point. He also... He also sort of, I mean, going back to the football, uh, he also, you know, gives thanks to, to certain coaches. And he's really um, praises Terry Venables hugely for the build-up to Euro 96 because he went through a barren run. And I, I don't know the stats exactly. Maybe Rob can, can it's help. it for but two years, I think. Something mm. like that, which obviously in, in those days would probably be about 20-odd games, which is an insane amount of games to go without a goal. And uh, he certainly repaid Venables his faith. He made a big point about how much... Um... Rob, Bobby Robson taught him when he came to Newcastle. He said he yeah. taught him to play sort of on the half turn and nobody had actually yeah. taught him to play before and stuff. He was a very sort of modern coach, Robson, despite being quite literally ancient, wasn't he, for so long? <laughs> but uh, the, mm-hmm. just, just a point, Gary, the, 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 just the, the finest sports documentary I've ever seen, if anybody's got a few days spare, is Ken Burns' 20-hour documentary about the history of baseball. <laughs> 20 hours it's brilliant absolutely brilliant I so genuinely don't know if you're being serious no I am genuinely being serious I have never watched a game of baseball in my life and it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen it's amazing baseball, baseball is like cricket and boxing in, in attracting great writing and so it's no surprise that uh, to me so I shall look out and for on it. that note we shall bring this marathon to a close um, <laughs> thank you very much Gary Rob and John I hope you've all enjoyed this out there. Let us know what you think at Nesson Dorma Pod. Thank and you. And we'll see you all Cheers. again soon. Cheers. Take care. Cheers, gents.